Hello and welcome to I'll Make a Meth Out of You. This podcast is designed for students studying medicine at the Lincoln Medical School or any anatomy geeks out there. We will be supplementing your anatomy learning with clinical cases and experience in line with your weekly anatomy teaching. Any views expressed in this podcast are personal and do not represent the views of Lincoln Medical School or the University of Nottingham or Lincoln. Please do not use this podcast as a source of medical advice and if you are concerned about your health, please contact your GP. This is episode three, the lower GI tract and the hepatobiliary tree. So what did we do this week? We've gone on a journey through the abdomen, haven't we? So we yeah. kind of started off looking at the whole, we did the upper, and surprisingly now we've moved on down into the lower GI tract. Yeah. So should we start by saying what, what the lower GI tract is? So the lower GI tract starts at the cecum, which is the first part of the large intestine. Goes all the way from ascending colon, transverse colon, descending colon, sigmoid colon, all the way down to the anal canal and the anus. With the rectum in the middle. With the rectum in the middle. Excellent. Yeah, exactly. So it's all of that. So it's much less than the upper GI tract, isn't it? Lengthwise, yeah. I guess. Yeah. yeah. It is. But it's, yeah. But it's not about the size of the colon. <laughs> it's, it's it's about what you do with it and what does the colon what, well, what does the colon what do? That's a very do? good point. What no. does what does the colon do? It absorbs water. It absorbs water. It does. Can it absorb anything else? Or can it absorb some carbohydrates? Yeah, it can. Yeah. It can. But it mainly but only a little bit. Yeah. So Great it's mainly knowledge. it's mainly um, the water, isn't it? Which makes the solid feces that. Mm. Yeah, so this is dehydrating the feces, aren't you? This yeah. is this um, terrible, like negative feedback cycle with constipation, where if the feet like fecal matter has been in your colon for a, a while, it dries out and it gets hard, and that makes it more difficult to to pass, mm. and therefore it so it spends more time in your large bowel, and so it gets even drier, and then it gets more difficult to pass, and yeah. lo and behold, you end up with, well, you hope you don't, but it, eventually you can end up with fecal impaction which is this stool that's become so um, uh, dried up and hard that it, it, people just can't pass it at all and they need like, sometimes surgical help to actually yeah. open their bowels. Isn't it um, manual evacuation? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's quite, I, I like you raising that because it's really important and it's something that a junior doctor has to deal with on a daily basis, yeah. I would say. It's yeah. such a common thing in hospitals, isn't it? Yeah. And oh. everywhere. How many times are we asked to prescribe a laxative because somebody hasn't opened their bowels in three days? Exactly, and if, you know, and if you know the science behind why they might be constipated, you can then choose the right laxative. Sure. Yeah, exactly. But in that situation, it's like the osmotic la- uh, laxatives, lactulose and things, will draw lots of water into the, into the colon and hopefully that will help to rehydrate the stool up and make it a exactly. bit more soft. But if it's quite advanced constipation, actually, is it is the lactulose going to work its way around to where it needs to be? Sometimes it doesn't, and sometimes you have to kind of use suppositories and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Enema, multiple things, or enemas. Yeah, no, that's the kind of that's the last resort of it. Yeah, that's the last step for manual evacuation, isn't it? Yeah, basically, yeah. Mm. It, I really wanted to talk about the joke of like how mathematicians treat constipation. Go on. Not heard of it. No. Pie. They work it out with a pencil. Very mm. good. That's very clever. It wasn't very funny. Right, well, <laughs> <laughs> I like well, funny jokes. We've dived straight in there with a with constipation, with a kind of clinical yeah, manifestation. But I guess if we um, bring it back to some of the anatomy of the bowel itself, 
in the session we've covered the blood supply. Mm-hmm. We know about the um, the different branches from the aorta. We've covered in previous weeks the celiac axis. We've talked about the um, SMA before, superior mesenteric artery, which is involved with the supply of um, some of the large bowel. And another very relevant artery this time around is the inferior mesenteric artery, which supplies some of the distal uh, bowel. So that's some of the, the territory we've been covering, right? And if, now we've gone over the three main big um, unpaired branches of the aorta. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they exactly. Each, they each supply um, foregut, midgut, and right. uh, my gut, yeah. respectively. Right. And they yeah. have then different, they, well, is this the superior mesenteric artery, say, then has the other branches that then actually go to each bit. But it's quite nice that they're called, usually, what they... They supply. Thank yeah. you. Mm-hmm. Yes, I forgot the word I was looking for there. Yeah, I mean, even if you think about it, the marginal artery, how that actually forms and, and supplies the margin of the large intestine. So actually is a link between the superior mesenteric artery blood supply and the inferior mesenteric artery. Therefore, you have this marginal arte- artery around the splenic flexure. Mm. I like that. And even like even down to the iliochoric branch, which actually inspires obviously a bit of the ilium and a bit of the colon. What's in the middle of that? The cecum, so actually it supplies the cecum. Exactly. And a branch of that comes off and does the appendix. Appendicular artery. Indeed. Was that a bit American? No, that's what it's called. Oh, is that why they call it like appendectomy? Yeah. Oh, no. Is that American? Appendectomy is, yeah. Yeah. We say appendicectomy. Mm, Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) We'll just Uh, let you change. I'll change it from now on. Oh, good, thank you. Excellent. So we talked about the blood supply, so therefore what is the venous drainage of the large intestine? So, um, the hepatic portal vein is the yeah. um, main drainage, I would say. Yeah, exactly. So superior mesenteric vein, um, which is joined by the splenic vein and inferior mesenteric vein, yeah. which forms the hepatic, the short but very important hepatic portal vein um, yeah, entering the liver. Yeah, so that hepatic portal vein then goes into the liver. And it's important because this act- this um, venous blood supply actually contains all of the important nutrients mm-hmm. um, that then need to be processed by the liver. Mm-hmm. So if you think about it, you've got the SMV, which drains the midgut, and you've got the splenic, which drains the spleen and part of the pancreas. Um, and therefore everything is going up into the liver for it to be processed. Instead of it going straight to the heart, which would just be a bit of a waste of all those nutrients. Well, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I, think, I think this really. is such an important concept to get your head around because in, in lots of other um, parts of the, the body, the venous drainage just follows the arterial supply. So sometimes you don't even have to use any brain power to try and learn it. You just learn the arteries and you know the veins. Whereas in this um, particular um, occasion, you, you need to be aware that the um, uh, venous drainage is different and and for that specific reason it's about absorbing all the nutrients isn't it mm. i think the liver is such a unique organ because it's supplied by both an artery and a vein yeah it's it called is. dual blood supply and actually the main supply for the liver is actually the portal vein instead of the hepatic artery yeah it's it really is. interesting i think it's, it's a lot it's a lot bigger of a thing isn't it if you yeah. actually look at the pro sections it's this huge vessel which is the part of water vein actually the 
the arteries actually relatively effective. Well, yeah, exactly. That's the main job of the liver. It takes all of those nutrients from the hepatic portal vein, and it, you're right, it does have a bigger blood supply from mm. there, but it obviously needs its own blood supply so it can actually function, and that's in the form of the hepatic artery. Mm. Yeah. We can shout out pharmacology right now as well in episode three. We're going to we talked about histology in the past, haven't we, and how that's important. And, and the, I think hepatic um, blood supply is very important if you do think about drugs. When we give them orally and they're absorbed and go via the liver, we've prob- most people have probably heard of first-pass metabolism. And this is uh, um, the reason why lots of medications that are given um, intravenously and so on um, make their way back via the vena cava to the heart and basically get around the liver. And so they're not um, absorbed and you can get quite a much higher bioavailability with drugs that are injected directly for example rather than given orally yeah, and, exactly. and it's something to consider in, as well in patients that don't have a uh, an or- a very good oral route they don't have a swallow or or they're missing a bit of gut that, that they would need to definitely the, the drug is being effective right? mm-hmm. yeah. and then think about why that is because you're right actually if it's going if you put it into the venous system you're right it could bypass the liver some of it might eventually get to the liver once it's gone around the circulation but mm. not the full whack of the dose yeah, yeah. Drug. which is good in a way because depending on what you want Therefore, you, you would need to actually bypass that liver so that you have more of the drug uh, active and available, like you said, the bioavailability. Mm. See, our bodies are so clever. They are, to be fair. I think this is... Oh, I feel like we're going back to, why do you want to be a doctor? <laughs> the body is really cool. Yeah. should have known this when I did my interview. <laughs> <laughs> um, but obviously, the, the blood that goes to the liver from the hepatic portal vein does eventually make its way back to the heart yes. and it does so via the inferior vena cava, via mm-hmm. the hepatic veins. Mm-hmm. So uh, blood enters the liver through the hepatic portal vein, comes out the other side um, as the hepatic veins which enter directly into the inferior vena cava and then the inferior vena cava goes up through the diaphragm to the right atrium. It's interesting how the liver can be separated um, into eight segments where they each has their own supply and by the portal vein and artery and each has its separate drainage and by hepatic veins so you can take a chunk out if there's a, a tumour there or if there's a lesion there without affecting the other segments of the liver which is quite clever I think. It's really clever actually, it's yeah. so handy otherwise yeah. we wouldn't have been able to do that, we wouldn't yeah. be able to treat it, so, so yeah. it's really cool. The so liver is one of my, so we were talking about top top organs I think it's, it's almost my, fir- like my top favourite organ. I thought it was the stomach last week. <laughs> So is your second favourite, the liver? I don't know, I quite like the bladder as well. Oh, Changes everything. I've stopped three now. You're one of those people, you tell each organ that it's your favourite. <laughs> <laughs> like Bruce Forsyth. Yeah. <laughs> it is really cool though, and the fact that it can regenerate a bit, so it's got regenerative properties, it's wicked. Yeah, it is, it is very clever. Very clever. We are going to have to do a, like a Christmas special where we go through that. Like, top favourite. I'd like to, yeah. I mean, go on, if we ever interviewed, if we ever, so we interviewed a consultant orthopaedic surgeon and we asked him what his favourite bone was. <laughs> he said the femur and it was a good reason. But if we ever interview a general surgeon, um, I'd really want to say, what's your favourite organ? <laughs> I think I'd just throw them off guard completely. Exactly. Anyway. I wonder what, what happens if you ask a urologist. Well, they haven't got much to choose from, have they? I like uh, the penis. That's, that's what I mean. That's what I mean. Do they, do they say kidney? Or do they just say, yeah, I like... Well, the ureters 
The bladder is pretty cool because the bladder gets big and goes small again. It's really I don't think the ureter is an organ. It's boring though, it's just a... It's a structure. You like yeah. The ureters are really cool. Just, just... <laughs> the ureters are cool. And then really cool, you watch them like, do their little peristaltic exactly. thing. You're like, if if you can, t- they get big and go small. Thing is equally relevant about the penis as well, isn't it? So <laughs> <laughs> if that's your if that's your standard, well, yeah, because the stomach and the bladder, they both did that. They also so is expanded. That like, is that how you judge an organ? About whether it can grow in size or not? Change, yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, it's boring. We digress. The other reason I think that um, it's really important to un- really understand the hepatic portal vein and the blood supply to the liver is because it helps you to think about metastasis so a lot of what we deal with in clinical practice is cancer unfortunately isn't it there's, there's, well it, especially on the surgical wards you tend to have loads of patients um, unfortunately with tumors and it can be really useful to um, know where to look for the metastasis if you understand this concept because um, for example a sequel tumor now that we know that the uh, venous drainage will end up in the liver will often metastasize to the liver and so on your CT scan you might find some uh, um, kind of hypodensities on the CT which would suggest potentially liver mets. However, um, an organ like the kidney, if you've got a renal cell carcinoma, since the kidney is drained by the renal veins which drain into the uh, inferior vena cava, you, you don't get liver mets because that and drains to the heart you end up, you get lung mets because the next, the next kind of organ that that blood ends up in is the lungs in. Sometimes you can get these cannonball lung mets, which look like, or sometimes they call them balloons, I think. These, um, there's a French word, which I can't remember, a French phrase for the appearance on the x-ray of all these tiny spherical um, opacities on the chest x-ray. So in that condition, you'd be, um, with somebody who, with a new diagnosis of a renal cell carcinoma, you'd be scanning their chest, not their liver, right? Yeah, it's kind of useful it's, to think. Yeah, about. It's it, really it, makes, it makes perfect sense, and you're right. When you go back to the basics and the blood supply, you can actually definitely see why that would happen. Yeah, because exactly. I think I was a bit guilty in medical school thinking, oh well, they're like the bowels close to the liver, so that must be why it gets there. But actually, it's not really. You're right because mm. the kidneys are there as well. So actually, it's not that. It's all to do with the blood supply. Yeah, and if you understand it, you don't have to rote learn it. Mm. You, you you just know it. It's, it's a logical way to figure out what's most likely right. location of meds. Yeah. But there are areas where these, where the, these two venous systems interact with each other, right? Where the portal system and the um, caval system, which means the, in the, well, the vena cava, whether it's superior or inferior, mm-hmm. where the two of them come together. And often we look for clinical signs at the areas at which these two systems do meet, mm. right? Because mm. in certain conditions, blood can end up flowing through one rather than the other as a result of a pathology at that place and then if we're really lucky we can pick up the signs and that gives us a clue as to what the pathology is yeah exactly right so where are these areas how many there's people normally think about three that you can see but we think there's probably four there is four mm-hmm. there are four yeah, yeah there are three so, that are clinically relevant yeah exactly so there are four but there's three that are clinically relevant there's so, one should we start at the top sure mm-hmm. Esophagus is the first one. Yeah, the esophageal portocaval anastomosis. Oh, bit of a mouthful. A little bit, yeah. So yeah, what, what's that between? So I think it's between the left gastric vein and the tributaries of the azygos system. So I think it's the yeah. gastric bit that would go then through the liver, because obviously that's having the absorptive thing, and the azygos we know goes into the inferior vena cava. 
Exactly. So let's say you've got you've got cirrhosis of your liver, um, and via the pathophysiology of that, you've got kind of an increased pressure in the portal system. Yeah, because of what we were talking about last week. Yeah. Because everyone was saying, actually, does the liver get bigger? No, it gets small, shrunken. Sure. You can't put the, the blood through it. Mm. So those those veins can't drain the blood properly. You get sort of backflow of blood via the path of leaf resistance, which is now the lower pressure azagous veins. And so blood will go that way and yeah. up, up make its way back to the heart. And what's the significance of that? Well, if those vessels that um, do enlarge because they're now handling a lot more blood, they can be more likely to rupture, right? If they're under higher pressure. Yeah. And that those the problem is that they're often very superficial on the inside of the the kind of inner surface of the esophagus. Yeah. So any small amount of trauma, I think even literally the passage, the bolus of food, so mm. um, can trigger esophageal bleeds, which then present with patients who are having hematemesis, which is bloody vomiting, right? Yeah. And then that means. That presentation. I, yeah, I know they've really? through A&E, yeah. Mm. How was it? I've heard it's awful. They just don't stop. They don't stop vomiting. And it's tricky because you, all you can do is try and resuscitate them with fluid and if it, if they're um, if it's you know a lot of blood then you try and replace the blood as well. But you you can't stop it yourself until the gastro guys come along and Put a camera down. Yeah. I mean, yeah, because it's one of those things you can't, because we get told something's bleeding, we apply pressure and we raise it. You can't really do that to the esophagus. You can't really reach down someone's throat and be like, I'll just put pressure there. Sure. And you no. can't do it through the chest wall. Well, yeah, you're right. We have to use other techniques and that's mm -hmm. actually going down and actually stopping that bleed yeah. physically. I heard there's a very satisfying procedure where you can actually do the OGD and stop, stop the bleeding specifically mm -hmm. if you find a point and you can actually notice the BP going up mm. whilst you're doing that so I heard it's oh yeah it's like direct feedback yeah, yeah. and you're you right because they can it's surprising because you think they're just like the little azagos veins I'm sure everyone's seen it in the pro sections they, they look fairly small and unassuming type things but actually because they dilate you can lose a serious amount of blood exactly mm. and it's because so of that, that dilatation so this doesn't just happen overnight you don't suddenly have this portal hypertension and then it leads to the backflow. It happens over months and possibly years where these veins then become hugely dilated and as you're right, yours are near the surface mm. and therefore they can easily rupture, essentially. Oh, it's um, like a ticking time bomb. Oh. It, it is, definitely. Um, but there's loads of things that you can do in between all of this. It doesn't just always result in hematemesis, the vomiting of blood. Um, but specifically, when it when these happen and when they're there, these are called esophageal varices. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you for saying that word. Uh, also, we mentioned OG. You said OGD. Yeah. yeah. Which people might not know that means esophagogastroduodenoscopy. Right. And so now you can see why we say OGD. Yes. It's yeah. the the like most common probably yeah. medical abbreviation, and it's another word for gastroscopy or camera like camera, camera test, test down the yeah exactly. down the gullet rather than yeah. yeah. We well, find often often people call it uh, endoscopy. Yeah. But that covers both ends, so you need to specify Upper whether it's GRI, oral or rectum. Sure. Excellent. You don't want to get them confused. Definitely not. <laughs> people will not thank you for that. GMC will not like you. Mm -hmm. Well, speaking the of the patient won't either. Speaking of the rectum. Is there one in the rectum? No. <laughs> it's such a good link. Flawless. <laughs> get me on TV. Yeah. We've so got where are they between? So we've got rectal ones. So they're between the superior rectal veins, Excellent. and which is above the pectinate line and the inferior uh, rectal veins, which is below the pectinate line. The yeah. superior ones drain into the inferior mesenteric vein, yeah. which goes into the hepatic portal vein, yeah. and okay. the inferior ones go into internal iliac vein. Yeah, 
which makes its way up to the inferior yeah. vena cava. Yeah, so that's where that lies. Mm. And the same principle applies. So if there's a loads of pressure in that portal system, it will then sort of go the easier route, mm. and that easier route is then backwards up through um, the IVC. Yeah. So what would happen when that happens? So what dilates? What clinical manifestation do we get? Hemorrhoids. Mm. Yeah. Very piles, as the lay people call them. Yeah. Right. Does it? It can happen not just with the portal hypertension, because obviously hemorrhoids is such a common condition, isn't it? Yeah. 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 And is that again to do with some pressures? But it's also yeah. So exactly, it's still sometimes to do with pressure, right? Yeah. Well, the so, pressure of defecation, really. Defecation. Yeah, which which in increases abdominal pressure anyway, which will then re that therefore reduces mm -hmm. venous return. Which causes the veins then to dilate. To dilate, yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, so you're right. These so are hemorrhoids. Yeah. Hemorrhoids, and it can be a massive cause of PR bleeding or per rectum bleeding. Well, exactly, like you get bleeding at the top, you also get bleeding at the bottom. This time it could be really profuse rectal bleeding, which again can sometimes need surgery to actually stop that bleed. Completely. Mm -hmm. And it's also classified by whether you can reduce it yourself back into, like back internally. Mm -hmm. So that, that tells you how how severe the problem is. It's almost like a hernia, but not. Mm. Yeah. Well, they, cause they, these be, can become thrombosed and then they become really painful. Yeah. A bit yeah. like almost a strangulated hernia, I suppose, if you want well, yeah, to think about it, it right Yeah, now. because they are cutting off their own blood supply. Sure. Yeah. And then where's the other, where's the third kind of really common place when we think about the anastomoses? Well, this gives an excellent sign, doesn't it? One of the things mm. we, we were telling you guys to look out for in the abdominal examination. We're talking about Kaplan Medusa. which is an excellent name for a sign. Mm. Um, yeah, so they're the para-umbilical ones. Yeah, and so this is the link between the para-umbilical veins and the veins of the anterior abdominal wall. So instead of the veins going down into the portal system, uh, that pressure then causes them to come out onto the anterior abdominal wall. And so this is why it gives that impression of Caput Medusa, or um, the, in Greek mythology, Medusa, who had green snakes for hair. It gives that impression across the abdomen, and yeah. it's quite striking when you see it. And then what was the fourth one that we were talking about, which is, it doesn't really tend to have a clinical manifestation, but it is an anastomosis? Uh, so that's the retroperitoneal anastomosis. And so these are the portal tributaries of the mesenteric veins and the retroperitoneal veins, which drain into the IVC. Right. Which but makes sense because that's, that's where the RBC is, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. It is. It's a retroperitoneal structure. Uh, more on that next week. <laughs> um, and so there's no, sort of, there's no sort of clinical significance with this one. There's no real clinical manifestations. Um, so you're academic. more likely to notice the other ones first, but obviously we should admit that it does exist. Great. And those were the portocaval anastomoses. So the other thing we covered uh, during this week is the liver and the hepatobiliary tree. Should we talk about the liver first? Oh, I like the liver. Yes, it's your, one of your top three organs. <laughs> Thank you. I have like a never gonna this down. <laughs> <laughs> well, Michael spoke about the parts earlier on. So you can, he, yeah. You can divvy it up. There are eight. Mm -hmm. So that aren't there parts of the? Yeah. So the the four anatomical lobes. Yep. Yeah. Which appears different from. The others, like mm -hmm. so, yeah, so they're separated by appearance, but they're eight functional segments, mm. yeah, which you can't really tell apart um, just from its appearance. Um, so let's go through the four lobes. Um, I think they are the left lobe, the right lobe, um, 
caudate lobe and uh, the quadrate lobe, which is next to the gallbladder. Um, the right lobe is always bigger than the left lobe. Um, yeah, and the caudate lobe is kind of posterior and superior to the quadrate. Um, Completely. And then you've got the falciform ligament that kind of is holding it all in place. Yeah, which yeah. separates the left and right lobe um, anteriorly. Yeah, exactly. Is it important for us to know about the eight different functional segments, or is it more important for us to know about the lobes anatomically? I mean, physiologically, um, yes, they're separated into eight segments, and that's very important. For example, like you said earlier, mm -hmm. if there happens to be a lesion, for example, a MET that we've just mm -hmm. learned about, in the, in the liver, in a particular segment, then we can just go in and take that segment out without actually disrupting the function of the liver. Mm -hmm. But anatomically, we tend to refer to them as, as lobes, don't mm -hmm. we? Yeah. Yeah. And that helps us identify, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And also you can then identify where something is again by the yeah. lobes as well. So. Well, I always found it quite cool that um, the left lobe, so you've got the right lobe and the left lobe, the left lobe actually sort of creeps its way over, so it's almost in the epigastric region. Mm. So mm. sometimes you can actually feel it, and it's perfectly yeah. normal. Mm. Um, but yeah, you can actually feel it um, in your epigastric region. Attached to the liver is a gallbladder. Mm. And the gallbladder is a very important organ. Can we classify it as an organ? Yeah, yeah it's yeah. an organ. Yeah, I think so it's doing something. Well, it's yeah. kind of a storage. I'm not going to say sack again. It is a storage organ, yes, isn't it? Yeah. The bladder is also a storage organ. She just did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it, it, the clue's in the name, isn't it? With this one. What does mm -hmm. it do? It stores gall, which, aka bile. bile. No one calls it gall anymore, but it is. It's, that's did it just used a... to be called gall? Yeah. I didn't yeah. know it used to be called gall. Mm. That's pretty cool. So it stores it, so is it made in the gallbladder? No, it's bile. made in the liver. Excellent. Sorry, that's really sassy, do you want to read it? <laughs> <laughs> it's made continuously by the liver. It is. Um, but it's stored in the gallbladder. So... But what does bile do? Or gall? Gall. <laughs> it's really cool, it's basically like our body's version of ferro liquid, isn't it? Yeah, it it's also green as well. Sure. It is also green. I always think it's the body's very liquid. It's great. I think that's a really great way of describing it. Describing it even. Because if you think about like to get rid of like fat on your, um, if you if you've had a really fatty meal, um, to get rid of the fat from the plate, the water won't do it. Water won't cut it. You yeah. actually have to add something to break down the fat. Yeah, exactly. And that's what it does, isn't it? It breaks down fat. Yeah, and, and then it helps your body it. absorb it. Exactly. Yeah. Same. That's what. Is that why fairy liquid's green? Because it's actually bile. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? It's human bile in very liquid. <laughs> Other brands are available. Yeah. <laughs> oh, lovely. Now, there you go. Every time you do the washing up. Well, it's, it's, it's important because it goes wrong a lot of the time. Yeah, yeah general surgery. I mean, how I think it's probably so what, this, this the second most organ. common. Okay. Oh, is it? Yeah, oh, put it out there. Top three. Bladder, favorite to be organ. fair, I do like a good gallbladder. Well, no, you've had your three. Because your most Sorry. common emergency case is, is an appendix, isn't it? I think. Yeah. That yes. must be the most common presentation. Well, one I, I emergency, think I read that, emergency that requires surgery. Surgery. Yeah. <clears throat> and then probably next on the list, I would I would imagine, I've not studied this, but I think is uh, probably the uh, gallbladders. You do see yeah. a lot of. You get quite a lot of well, experience, well, lot especially as an SHO. We see in County actually, yeah. and I think that's partly to do with the demographic mm. of um, an increased body habitus in our population. Before we just talk about the resources. Yeah. yeah. So actually, yeah, so what are we talking about? What goes wrong with the gallbladder? You get gallstones, as you yeah. said. Mm. So if we talk about what it actually does, and this is where the patibiliary tree comes in. Yeah. So your liver makes the bile, which we now call bile. 
<laughs> it goes down <laughs> into, <laughs> into the gallbladder where it gets stored. And then when you have a meal, particularly a fatty meal, um, a hormone called cholecystokinin is then uh, triggers the gallbladder to basically squeeze and therefore it um, ejects the bile, which goes down the hepatobiliary tree and enters into the duodenum where it can help us digest that fatty food. After it's joined yeah. the pancreatic duct. So the comma bile duct joins the pancreatic duct into the hepatopancreatic ampulla ovata. It's, it's a very long word. Which you're right, it's controlled by the sphincter of Odi. Mm. And it Just enters into the descending part of the duodenum by the major duodenal papilla. Mm, very good. I Excellent. only know this because I've just written my retroperitoneal letter. <laughs> and that's actually on the posterior posterior medial, uh, medial edge of the descending part of the duodenum because that is an exam question that was asked in... What, in MRCS? Yeah. Oh, no. They actually said which... That's specific. Yeah. Surely, how, which, how is that? Which, like, yeah. 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 Like, where is it exactly? I know, yeah. And the only yeah. reason I could think or hazard a guess was because in your textbooks often it, um, that bit of duodenum is, is um, uh, what's the word? Sliced. Coronal. Coronally in that plane and you can see the, the papilla. So I always think, well, it must be on the posterior and kind of yeah. medial wall-ish because that's, that's where you see it on the picture. <laughs> well, <laughs> if you saw the back of it, it would be, it'd be tough, I wouldn't know. But anyway. I guess it makes sense because the pancreas comes from the left side, so it will be somehow medial. Mm. Like the papilla. Yeah, it yeah, wouldn't exactly. be somehow medial. It doesn't make sense for it to go all the way yeah. around and then no, come no, in from definitely. the lateral edge. No, pancreas is but, not bendy. Yeah, if you think your exams are hard. <laughs> <laughs> Just you wait. They get, get tricky. Oh, I think one of the saddest things I learned was that um, as you're in F1, you still have all these exams to do. You still have <laughs> yeah, all these mm. sign-offs. You finish medical school and you're like, yes, I'm a doctor. It gets harder and harder. It does. Like, when I did finals, I thought, wow, I got it done finally. But then yeah. I've got this MRCS coming on. Yeah. And, yeah. Oh dear. Doesn't stop. It's non-stop. Hey, but it's still fun, you're going to love it. Student for life. So before we went on a wild tangent, we were talking about gallstones. Yeah. Gallstones are often kind of accumulations of cholesterol, which is why we were um, uh, talking about how being larger can mm -hmm. predispose you to them. As well as the, uh, do you guys know the, the F? Oh, yeah. the Fs. Mm. The Fs. Yeah. Being fair female, fat and 40. Oh, I've got over five. So it's fertile as well. Oh, right. There you go. So a bit so, of childbearing age. So is it fair, yeah. Oh, yeah, female, fat, 40, fertile? Yep. Yeah. Because pregnancy is one of the yeah. risk, major risk factors for gallstones. Mm. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. But I guess what happens is the gallstones um, essentially can get caught, trapped in the um, at the neck of the gallbladder. Sometimes they get caught further down as well in the biliary tree. They're quite big. I don't know. I, I was going to say, can be I'd encourage everyone in the prosection, when we're doing prosections, have a feel of the gallbladders on the mm. prosection because quite a few of them do have gallstones and you can feel it and you can feel the stones yeah. and they actually, they'll come out like peas. Some of them get really big. I've seen someone, mm. someone showed me that they had a ginormous gallstones. Yeah. Well, I guess if they become... Uh, impacted at, at a, a narrowing somewhere like yeah. a, a sphincter you know the, the, the exit of the gallbladder or at the ampulla revata that we were talking about mm -hmm. that can cause inflammation and, and um, which then can lead to infection and then that's where we get cholecystitis from yeah, well, it blocks so the whole system. Right. Yeah, right. we also must not forget that actually, if the gallstone does manage to make its way all the way down to the hepatopancreatic uh, ampulla ovata, it can then cause a blockage of the pancreatic duct. 
and therefore cause pancreatitis. Mm. And that's a really big cause of pancreatitis. It is. Like we said, um, actually, gallstones are very common. And a lot of people have gallstones and don't even know about it. Yeah? So they happily sit in their gallbladder, not doing any harm. But it's when they either get impacted in the neck of the gallbladder or they get stuck in the tree, do they actually cause any issues. And it's these people that you then go on to do a cholecystectomy. Mm-hmm. So cholecystectomy, fancy word of saying, removal of the gallbladder. It's, it's really cooperation. Yeah. So do we need our gallbladder? No, I mean, people, people survive without it. Mm. Don't they? It's just like a storage thing. It's like one of those things. Like, do we need the appendix? No, mm. not really. Well, I don't know. So I think I think the the gallbladder is um, more important than the appendix. I think so. Yeah. I think From what we roughly know, because the gallbladder, as we have established, it stores that bile, which means that when you have a fatty food, mm. you can instantly release that bile. You don't have to wait for your liver to make that bile. So it instantly releases it, and then it helps you digest those fats. So if you remove your gallbladder you then end up being sort of like fat intolerant. Mm. So if you were to have a particularly fatty meal, for example, the classic one here is fish and chips, mm-hmm. um, you suddenly can't really cope with all of that fat in your system. Fat is, um, encourages you, encourages your bowel to move, therefore you end up with diuretic. Diuretic. Mm. Yeah, exactly, it's like laxative. So yeah, you, the yeah, patients get advised. Store, right? Yeah, floaty mm. store, right? Yeah, floaty store, stay-at-a-rhea. Stay-at-a-rhea. Yeah, that's the one, floaty poop. It's important <laughs> to know um, gallbladder helps to concentrate the bio as well. Yes, it does. So if you haven't got the gallbladder, then yes, basically, and cause bile, all these problems. Bile, yeah. that, bile that's not concentrating doesn't do a very good job, does it? Of, no. Well, yeah. no you have to be focusing hard on, like on it. Using, yes. Um, yes. Sorry, that's just you a can like, you, no, no, you can like it to using a value brand of uh, washing up liquid. You need a lot more to have the same effect. It's not as effective as fairy. And not that we should then drink fairy to help us, that will not work. No, no, don't do that. Don't do that. That's just poison. So I think we, we advise patients, don't we, to yeah. eat low-fat low fat, low diet well, when they leave hospital after they've had a cholecystectomy. Yes. And the, the cholecystectomy is one of the, one of the f- not few, but one of the operations that people like us can get our hands on when we're still quite mm. junior in our careers, right? It's one of the first operations. Have you ever done one? Um, not, not on my own, no. A persistent one, but not. I've removed a gallbladder from someone's liver. It's really cool. Amazing. Really cool. Uh, so you must have you must have known Callow's triangle. Yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> because that's the important um, the important anatomy. Yeah, the anatomical landmarks that, that you kind of need to use. know when you go in and and take out a gallbladder, right? Completely. Because what is tri- Callow's triangle? Let's start with that. So it's formed by the cystic duct, which um, is the duct. laterally. Yeah, so it's the duct between the, the, yeah, the lateral and going to the gallbladder. The gallbladder yeah. yeah, it's the lateral border. Excellent. Um, the common hepatic duct is the medial border. Yeah, excellent. Um, and the inferior surface of the liver will be the superior border of color triangle. Yeah, exactly. So, so the apex points towards your feet, really. Yeah. Mm. And why is it especially important, especially in surgery? Why, why do we really need to find it? Because the cystic artery um, exists within this callous triangle. So the cystic artery is what supplies the gallbladder. Um, and what's important about this, not only that it supplies the gallbladder, is that it actually comes off the right hepatic artery, which the right hepatic artery itself comes from the hepatic artery, which if you then don't find this artery and you just cut through it, they can have a lot of blood loss very quickly. Because if you think about it, that common hepatic artery comes off the celiac trunk. And, it's and we all know how big that celiac trunk is. Exactly. 
and also this is why we look specifically for this Callow's triangle because um, when someone has had um, sort of the manifestations of gallstones, so you've got cholecystitis and cholangitis, there's so much inflammation around there um, that it creates sort of scar tissue, and so your normal anatomy isn't there anymore. Mm. So it doesn't look nice and neat like it does in the cadavers. It it, it's all stuck down. It's all stuck mm. down. So you need to find your landmarks, find this triangle, and there you will find that cystic exactly. artery. Because your momentum is great. It's really clever, isn't it? Because it, mm. it moves around and it finds something that it doesn't like. It goes and sticks to it. So if those, are, and actually, it doesn't help us when we're trying to fix it because you're like, please, momentum, get out of the way. Yeah, exactly. I'm trying to find the gallbladder here. <laughs> well, that's why there's, there's actually a window when you do a, when you perform a cholecystectomy. Mm. So you either do it immediately because the inflammation hasn't had time to build and become obstructive, mm. or you do it six to eight weeks later when the inflammation itself has settled down. Mm. And this is where you advise those patients to have a low-fat diet to prevent another flare-up whilst they're waiting for their surgery. So that was everything we had uh, for this week. So we talked about the large intestine, its blood supply, its venous drainage, the link between the porto, portal system and the um, vena cava system, so the porto cave one anastomoses. We also spoke about the liver, the gallbladder, my favourite organ, as well as the tree, and then how we actually treat gallstones. Excellent. Yeah, we talked about a few clinical things. Mm. Constipation, good old solid constipation. Very funny there. Yeah. Theateria, we've talked about lots of different things that can go wrong with your poo. Yeah. Oh, it's an important thing. Around, well, we large intestine. <laughs> exactly. Well, this is what I was trying to tell the students um, in clinical schools. Like, you just have to get used to asking patients yeah. very personal questions. So you are going to be asking them about their poo, about how often they go, about what it looks like. And most people turn around to me and say, I don't look at my poo. And I'm like, you should start looking at your poo, because actually mm. it's quite relevant. What, what does your poo look like? How healthy is it today? The Bristol stool chart. Yeah, so Jules has a mug that has the Bristol straw chart on it. Really? Do you want to think about that while you're drinking that coffee? He has to show it off in every meeting. You do, in every meeting we have, you're like, my Bristol straw chart mug. It's my favourite mug. Hey, it's like you said, it's important. Let's get a national conversation going about. The Bristol straw chart. Well, just about your poo in general, yeah. I think so, to be fair. I think it's important to notice. Yeah, Obviously, we know that if you don't look, then obviously things can go wrong and things get missed. Hashtag snap your stool. Post your pictures to Twitter. Oh, I don't <laughs> no, think that's appropriate. And, uh, yeah, um, all to Jules, please. I don't really know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, again, to P.O. Box. Uh, <laughs> number is 07. <laughs> I'll go through the fan mail next week. Special <laughs> interest you've got there, Jules. <laughs> Lower GI surgeon then, hey, in the making? Maybe. Mm-mm. Yeah, and then we, yeah, as you said, talk to the gallbladder. Yeah. Any other clinical things? No, I think that was everything. That's all, folks. Thanks for listening. Join us next time for the Wretched Peritoneum. Well, that's all for this week. Thank you very much for listening. Please join us next time for our continued ramblings through anatomy. <laughs> <laughs>